Well, good morning, saints. So this morning we bring to, to a close uh, the text of 1 John. We're going to spend a few more weeks hitting some specific themes that emerge out of uh, this wonderful letter. Today we focus on the last verse in 1 John, chapter 5. But let's take a moment and just kind of briefly recap where we've been and what has brought us to this point the last few weeks. John tells us that the Son of God came by water and by blood. Not by water only. Not by his baptism, not by his life that he lived on our account, but by his death as well. He came to ransom you, to rescue you, to reconcile you to God. He submitted to death on a cruel Roman cross for you. That is where we have been. Today's sermon text is 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Many sermons, uh, if you look at the structure of many sermons, there will be an element of, of explaining the text, making sure we're clear on what the original author meant to the original audience and kind of um, applying that to us today. But honestly, today is all about application uh, because this is a very applicable statement. It's a very remarkable statement. Uh, this is how he closes his letter. Not goodbye, see you later, have a nice day, have a nice life, any of those things. But this is what I want you to hear from me as one who is now elderly, who is now in exile, who is probably the last one standing regarding the apostles. Keep yourselves from idols. So what is an idol? As Karen referenced, it is true that... Uh, in some eras and in some cultures today, there are physical idols, wood, stone, uh, precious metals that people will actually bow down to. But that is not really the case. That is not really what John has in mind. He, he includes that, I'm sure. But an idol, as we often say, is anything, anyone that sits on the throne of your heart that belongs to Christ. But I'd like this morning to expand that definition, because I think we're probably used to that type of a definition. I'd like to expand that. It's not exhaustive, but this definition, I hope, will be helpful, and we'll break it down, and we'll go through uh, the details. What is an idol? Anything or anyone who obscures your soul's gaze or view of Christ impedes your earnest Christian determination to obey the greatest commandment that Jesus noted, distracts you from the great commission, and or preoccupies your mind with lesser pursuits. Now, when you think of these types of things, sometimes we naturally go to obvious known sins, right? If you're harboring a sin in your life that you know is wrong, I want to take it beyond that. Because honestly, idols are often not those obvious known sins. 
An idol can include a worldly ideology. An idol can include your political affiliation or your political bent or your favorite political podcast. Let's be honest. An idol can involve, can include what we call tribalism, right? Hanging with your people who think like you, who do like you do, who live life like you do, who always agree with you. That can become an idol. You're kind of your own little think tank. An idol can involve work. That's a pretty well-known one, right? Working the grind and neglecting the ones that you love. Working for things that eventually just fade away. An idol can include church work, church ministry. When done for the wrong reasons, right? It's not coming from a, your walk with the Lord, but it rather is for different reasons or you exhaust yourself in the process. As you might know, I am not a mom, but I do recall uh, there are what we call mommy wars that I have heard about. Do you feed your baby organic food or regular food? Right? I mean, wherever you go in life, you will find these what can become idols, right? Where you prioritize something and it gets out of whack in your life. It gets a little bit out of control. So let's break this down just a little bit. The first statement is this. What is an idol? Anything or anyone who obscures your view of Christ. Remember what Hebrews tells us? Fix our eyes on who? Jesus. That is where our soul's gaze must be. On Jesus. Running our race. Reflecting on the glory and the beauty of Christ. Do we not find ourselves ruminating, thinking, reflecting on lots of other things? It might be. That hat has become an idol. I'm not, of course, referring to the fact that sometimes we find ourselves enmeshed in very intense thoughts. I'm just saying, if you're living your life and your thoughts are going somewhere other than Christ, perhaps that's an idol. Second part. An idol is something or someone that impedes your earnest Christian determination to obey, to live out the greatest commandment, which Jesus said is to love the Lord your God with all, not part, not most, not on most of the time, but to love him with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Your entire being, your disposition is to love God, do we not love other things in such a way that they impede that desire on our part? Notice what Jesus said immediately after that. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because John has spoken to this so clearly and in so many different ways in our letter. If you love God, you will love people. Because you cannot separate the two. You simply cannot do that. Because they're tied intrinsically. Those of us around us are created in the image of God. And so when I love him, I am loving those around me. And so Jesus said, love him, love those around us. An idol will oftentimes impede our ability to do that. In fact, we don't even realize we're not doing it because we're so enmeshed with this idol. Third part. An idol, 100% of the time, will distract you from the Great Commission. There is one thing, literally one thing that Jesus left us with. It is the mission of the church. Go and make disciples. If we are distracted by idols, by those things we've referenced before, I will guarantee you, without exception, you will be ineffective and uninvolved in the Great Commission. You're thinking about other things. Fourth. Oh. No, let's, let's, I want you to turn. I'm glad I looked at my notes. Um, take your Bibles and turn or scroll to 1 Peter chapter 2. Grace Ripley had a, she had shirts and other artwork that simply said, had the Great Commission and said, get it done. I, I like that. Right? Get it done. That's what we're here for. So let's, that's what Jesus said. That's how he put it. So let's look at it from how Peter put it. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. You have heard this from me before. It will ring familiar in your ears. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's taking lots of Old Testament designations to Israel and he's saying, this is true of you. A people for his own possession. Why? Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's your life statement. That's why you're here. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the gospel. That's what John speaks about. Remember, he loves his little contrast. He talks about light and darkness, light and darkness. Paul told the Ephesians, you are children of light. Walk, live your life as children of light. Because there will necessarily be a difference between you and the world around you. Final statement. An idol, when you become obsessed or preoccupied with something other than Christ or someone other than Christ, an idol will preoccupy your mind with lesser pursuits. So how we define a lesser pursuit is basically, if it's not Christ, it's a lesser pursuit. Right? If it's not Christ, 
It is a lesser pursuit. There are lots of good and wholesome pursuits in life, but the challenge for us is to not allow them the rightful place in our hearts, in our affections, in our pursuit that belongs only to Jesus Christ, who has been given the name that is above every other name, bar none, end of discussion, period, at the end of the sentence. An idol... When we allow things in our thinking and in our thoughts, in our pursuits, they will cheapen your communion with the Lord, I promise you. The Lord will feel distant to you. The truth is, he hasn't gone anywhere. You have. When our mind is preoccupied with lesser pursuits, and notice the word preoccupied, right? We have to give our attention to things. And sometimes there's a season where we have to be intense. We understand that. But generally speaking, when we're preoccupied with other things, it will sideline you in making disciples. And I reference the other point. That's the one job that we have. We've all seen the memes, right? You know, he had one job, just one job, right? And he messed it up, right? That's our one job is to make disciples. When we are preoccupied with lesser pursuits, our capacity to love those around us will diminish. The New Testament has all those wonderful one another statements. Love one another, pray for one another, serve one another, support one another, encourage one another. I am telling you, if, you, if you're off in la-la land with whatever you're preoccupied with, you're not going to be doing that. Because that becomes a nuisance to you, if we're honest. Um, so these, these idols, in fact, um, turn to Romans chapter 12, just to kind of put a bookend on, on these thoughts. Romans chapter 12. If you know the structure of the book of Romans, it's like a lot of Paul's letters. It has chapter upon chapter of thick, dense, beautiful doctrine and teaching. And then there's a little hinge where he'll get to in his letters where he'll say, okay, now in light of all of this, live like this. So here's the hinge, right? 11 chapters of really good theology. But theology is not meant to be abstract knowledge. It is meant to be something that governs our thinking and drives the way that we live. Chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God that he just spent 11 chapters talking about, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable worship. Number two, verse two. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how we grow. The renewing of our mind. We settle our mind on the truth of God. We settle our mind. We reflect. We meditate. We think about. We study the truth of God. And our entire mind is transformed. To be more like Christ. To think more like Christ. But remember, if my mind is preoccupied with something, someone other than Christ, that transformation process is going to be stunted. 
So that's why John says, guys, just keep yourselves from idols. So let's break down this verse. It kind of presents itself as a very handy three-point sermon. There's basically three main thoughts in it. So our first sermon point this morning is this phrase, little children. Do not overlook how this statement is couched. I suspect any of you who have spent any time in church, church life, other experiences and so forth, you might have an image in your mind of a very intimidating pastor or leader holding his Bible, waving it at you, saying, don't, you know, keep yourselves from idols. That's actually not, and he'll lay a guilt trip on you, make you feel awful about yourself. And that's not what John does. Look at how he couches it. Little children. This is his favorite little phrase. You'll see it all throughout this letter. Little children, children, remember, he is old, he is elderly, he is mature in the faith, and he is going to die for his faith in exile. And he says, look, I just want you to know to keep this in mind. After all that I've just told you, little children, this is a gentle admonition. This is, a t- this is a term of endearment. Honestly, John wants the best for us. Remember, he started off by talking about joy and fellowship and all of those things. The simple truth, we need to hear it again and again, is that sin impedes our walk with Christ. It obscures our view of him. And when we come to that place, well, we get easily discouraged. We wonder where he is. Again, he didn't go anywhere. We did. So know and understand that this statement, keep yourselves from idols, is a term of endearment. It is something that is designed to help us. Because if we allow idols in our hearts, if we walk by these idols, if we give our time and attention to those things other than Christ, they will ultimately hurt us. It is true, we will become ineffective in our service to the Lord, but he wants us to thrive. So watch this, the next statement. Keep yourselves. Now if you're familiar with the New Testament, you're going to see a tension that runs all throughout. And it's important that we understand this tension. That's this. God is at work in our life. I have a responsibility to walk with him. Most um, untrue teaching or doctrine in, in the church or amongst Christians will have their genesis in taking one of those two perspectives and ignoring the other. Right? So John has told us over and over and over again, That he who is born of God, she who is born of God, will have certain things true of them. Because God is alive and at work in their life. Right? The life of God in the hearts of people. But that does not in any way absolve us from our responsibility to walk with the Spirit. So when he says, keep yourselves, that is a term of intentionality. We have to take... We have to be intentional to not allow things or people or pursuits or what people think of me to take the place of what Christ deserves 
in my own life, my affection for him, my pursuit of him, my walk with him. It involves a determination. Uh, If no one has told you yet, I would like to tell you that walking as a Christian can be very difficult. There are many trials. When you begin to understand God's word, when you begin to form your convictions in aligning with God's truth, when you begin to live by God's truth, it will naturally, you're not going to be running with the world. In fact, the deeper you go with Christ and the more you study God's word and the more you're intentional about, about standing on the truth of God, you and the world, you're going to go like this, right? So he says, you need to be determined to keep yourself from idols. Um, my pastor every year around this time would reference Colossians, I think it's chapter two, right? Vain ideologies and worldly philosophies, empty philosophies. I'm just telling you, every worldly philosophy, it sounds good on the front end, but then the more you look into it, it, it's just empty and it yields no life. It gives no solutions. It just makes things worse, right? So there's a determination to keep yourselves from ideologies, from ways of thinking, from people or things or whatever it is that replaces Christ and his truth in your life. So the other thing you need to keep in mind is this. It involves watchfulness. That's a great New Testament concept. You've got to be watchful, right? You've got to be intentional about looking around in your life to see are there, am I immersing myself in such myself in such a way in things or investing myself over here or over here in a way that's unhealthy or maybe out of balance and remember we can do that with good things good things can become toxic in our lives if we allow them so it involves us being watchful in our own lives to make sure that we're moving forward in a healthy balance Walking with him. This is so easy to fall into, which is why John's telling us this. Don't look at this statement and say, yeah, I'm really glad he is, is hearing this this morning. Or this is a word for her this morning. No, this is a word for all of us. John knows. He knows that this is easy to fall into. If we were to do a jet tour through the Old Testament, one way we could summarize it would be keep yourself from idols. I mean, is that not the history of, of the Israelites? Right? Is what, how we started the Mosaic Covenant. Right? Just honor me, obey me, serve me, love me, love your neighbor, all those things. But no, they didn't. They went out after literal other idols. So this is a theme that runs from beginning to the end of the entire Bible. Third sermon point this morning, shocker, from idols. The very things or people that we have been speaking to, keep yourself from. The reformer John Calvin said that the human heart is a factory of idols. And it's true, right? We have a remarkable ability to create idols. And other people around us are like, what are you doing? We do that naturally. We naturally take something and then become obsessed with it and we veer from our walk with the Lord. 
Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So let's continue to be practical. So let's ask the question, how? How do we keep ourselves from idols? What are some practical ways that we can live this out? Again, this is not exhaustive. But I think you'll find some of these specific points to be helpful. So how do you and I keep ourselves from idols? If we have a watchful spirit, if we're intentional and we are determined to keep ourselves from being sidelined in the Great Commission, here are some things to keep in mind. Number one, live with an eternal perspective. The Puritans used to say that uh, the eternal perspective is the crown jewel of Christian contentment. Believe it or not, your life has a shelf life. You are not guaranteed of tomorrow. So stop it. Just stop running after things that don't matter. If you buy them, they might outlast you. Look at, um, turn to the book of Psalms, right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm chapter 91. This is a little embarrassing. I think I wrote down the wrong, um, maybe it's 90. Ah, yes, it is. It is Psalm 90. True, false. David wrote all of the book of Psalms. The answer is false. This one's from Moses. Psalm 90. It's beautiful beginning. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world. Uh, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. If the request is for the Lord himself to teach us to number our days, it tells me that we have a propensity to forget that inconvenient truth. Sometimes we live as if we're going to be around forever. But the purpose of that is this, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. People can be intelligent, but incredibly unwise. We see this all the time. They can have aptitude in intellectual pursuits, but if we're honest, dumb as a doornail when it comes to, to life, wisdom, and so forth. And this is what Moses is asking for here, that we might have a heart of wisdom, that our heart would be such that we would walk in wisdom and not waste our life. Second, meditate long and deeply on the glory of God. Meditate on the glory of Christ. And when you feel you've done that, keep going. When we 
put these to the side. And when we are intentional and reflect and meditate and think about who God is, and we search out scriptures and we park our mind there, I promise you with relentless consistency, it will serve you so much better than anything else. Psalm 1 is a great passage to think about when it comes to that. Psalm 1, the first, well, verses 2 and 3. Third way to keep yourself from an idol, somewhat similar, reflect often on the brevity of life. You know, you don't have to be a Christian to know that you're not going to live forever as is. Right? It's, it's, I mean, we all have concluded that to be true. Scripture has so much to say about the brevity of life in comparison with eternity. If you're still in the book of Psalms, uh, just turn to your left to Job chapter 14. Job chapter 14, verse 1. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of troubles. Comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. That's not the most exciting verse to point you to, but it's true. It's true. Your life only lasts so long. So why are you running after things that don't last, that don't matter, that have no intrinsic value? Fourth, linger at the cross. That old rugged cross. It is true that some idols are inherently not really good or bad, but they become toxic if, we, if they're out of balance in our lives. But it's also true that there's lots of idols that are just flat out sinful. When we linger at the cross, when we reflect on our Savior's love for us. When we perceive in our mind's eye the Son of God curled up, the one who created and upholds all things by the word of his power, pinned, nailed, in a bloody mess, covered in his own blood and saliva on a cruel Roman cross, tell me again how you're going to pursue that sin that you're cherishing in your heart. Spurgeon spoke often to this. I meant to get the exact quote, but basically, how can you cherish that pet sin when you see your Savior nailed to the tree? John Owen, 1600, said this, We are never closer to Christ than than when we know the love of God. Know as in here, not just up here. When we know and bathe our minds in the love that God has for us, it becomes really hard to choose those sinful paths. Fifth, think about your legacy. What are you going to leave behind for your loved ones? 
How are people going to talk about you or think about you when you're no longer here? Are you the guy that spent 80 hours of work every week and had a really nice car? Or are you the guy that loved the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? And as the clearest expression of what was already in your heart, you loved those around you well. What's it going to be? On Friday, I was at um, up the street at Tony's church, uh, United in Action. You might remember Roddy. I mentioned his mom passed away, and what a he, he loved her so much, and the impact that she had. She was an educator on so many people. She lived her life selflessly and faced many challenges. She lived her life well, but the pastor did a really good job. It wasn't Tony; it was the previous pastor. Um, He said, you know, every day we have 86,400 seconds given to us. Whether you're rich or poor, the same amount. Every day there's a choice before you. How are you going to steward? How are you going to use the 86,400 seconds that are given to you freely? He said, you cannot charge to today's account what you squandered yesterday. But it's equally true that the mercies of the Lord are are new every morning. So you have a brand new start every morning. Short term, long term, how are you investing yourself? Where are you parking your mind? What are you pursuing? We all know there are mundane things we all have to do. You've got to take out the trash. You've got to do certain things. But even there, Paul says, do everything. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. But I love what Tony's previous pastor said. He said, at your funeral, give them something to talk about. I did not know Roddy's mom. But I am telling you, the people who were there literally could have spoken all day about Dr. Miller and all that she did, how she expressed her love for the Lord, first and foremost in her family, her three sons, and in her community. So we began with Joyce. We'll end with her. When I preached that first Sunday, After that terrible news, my prayer was very simple, that her life and her passing would not be in vain, that her legacy would move on. I didn't know then that a few weeks ago I'd be in Africa talking about Joyce, that this building that was not yet conceived in our minds, we would literally name the research lab the Joyce Lynn Memorial Lab. For those of you who knew her, you just know her to, be a, to have been a very generous, kind person who had her own stuff she had to work through, but did her best every day, as she said, to listen to the Lord and ask the question, how can I be a blessing to those around me today? So yes, I know we will talk about Joyce in the future from time to time. But remember her legacy. 
Not all of us are going to travel to a distant land and do something like be a pilot. We understand that. But in your circle, the people who know you, how will they remember you? What will they say about you? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. I'd like you to turn to one last verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. can't remember when we started in 1 John, but this concludes working through the text of 1 John. As I mentioned, there will be a few bonus reels afterwards. Um, some themes that I like to develop. John, more than anybody else, develops this beautiful theme. The life of God in the hearts of people. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when you consider idols, when you consider the world's incessant, constant, you know, telling you your rights and this and that. You know, Jesus, remember, said, come and die, right? He said, take up your cross and follow me. So look at what Jesus says. In this particular passage, he's talking about a sexual ethic. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. He's pretty plain, right? He's pretty direct. Flee, run, don't stay, don't entertain it, don't rationalize it, run from it. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. The sexually immoral person sins against his own body. But now watch what he says. There's an underlying reason why he's speaking to this. And this has broad application to lots of areas of our life, every area of our life. Verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. Remember, John talked about that too. He's given us his spirit. But watch what he says next. You're not your own. Contrary to every last person and ideology that tells you to fight for your rights, actually, in Christ, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. Glorify God with your pursuits. Glorify God with your talents. Glorify God with your time. Glorify God with your affections. And on down the list. That's what John is getting in. Let's bow and prepare our hearts for prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is so rich. It is so beautiful. It is so full of truth. It shows us the glorious adoption that all of us have as sons of yours. Thank you for the simple, profound gospel truth that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Lord, you tell us over and over and over again in so many different ways to walk as children of light. We confess we fail. We confess we get distracted. We confess we get discouraged, beset by doubts, and so on and so forth. Oh Lord, give us today what we need to walk with you. 
to remove the idols in our hearts and in our lives. I'm reminded in the Old Testament of the violent ways in which they did that. They smashed them. They tore them down. They didn't do so halfway. They did it completely. Lord, we're all prone, we know, to these idols. Help us to be watchful, to be thoughtful, and to tear them down. Father, we pray if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who has not yet placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.